this. Uh, I want to I want to tee up the topic today by asking you to go into a little pretend mode for me. So start, start thinking right now. You're going to use your imagination. I want you to imagine, imagine a world where you, you look around and you see that at every turn there is some like force of evil or darkness that just seems to be in control. Imagine a world where, uh, man, you can't read the news without just your heart falling. Think think like Star Wars, uh, the New Order, the Imperials. Like there is a power that's so strong that it's just got like a death grip on the world. It's and you're a part of this world, and it's so discouraging and hard to see what's going on day after day. Now, once you imagine this too, imagine that there is a resistance. Imagine that there's rebels. Imagine that there's a group of people that are coming together who are fighting against this power, this thing. Day after day, their goal is to see peace and love and care and what's right to win out. Man, let me ask you another question. Do you really have to pretend? <laughs> How far do we have to go to pretend on that one? You know, when you read the Scripture, you do get this picture of that sin in the world is just so rampant with so much brokenness, and, and day after day, we just see it, don't we? I mean, it's not on the news. It's in us. It's in my heart. It's in our lives. We, we see it every single day. And, and what's funny to me is if that's actually the narrative of the world, I think it's funny that today there are millions, maybe, of Christians around the world that are doing what you're doing right now. They showed up at church. But they showed up because they felt like in order to kind of keep God happy, who's got some big attendance chart apparently, to keep him happy, they show up so that they can kind of check that box. And, And their sense of the Christian life is to make sure that they're doing the right things and checking the right boxes. That's, that's one view that you can take of your faith. There's another view that you can take of your faith that says you're part of a rebellion. There's another view that you can take of your faith that says you're part of a resistance. My very favorite author calls this the divine conspiracy. That God actually has a conspiracy to overthrow this world that has fallen into sin and darkness. I, which do you want to be a part of? The check the box, like, hey, you know, God, I got to keep you happy with my attendance. Or do you want to be part of a rebel alliance that says, no, we're going to fight against it. We're going to put hell out of business. So we've been, we've been working through this book called Revelation. Revelation's the last uh, book of the Bible. I know it, for some of us, it, maybe you've read it once, maybe you've never read it. It's, um, here, here's, how, here's how I think of the Bible. The, the Bible is kind of like a big house. It's got a ton of different rooms in it. And some of the rooms, in the, think of a big house. 
Some of those rooms you're going to go into a lot. Why do you go in there? Because it's comfortable, or you like something in there, or it feels at homey to you. You're going you're gonna to go into certain books of, of the Bible, certain letters or the Gospels or whatever. You're going to go into those a lot. And then there's certain rooms in that house that like never get used. Or you go in there once and you're like, that was weird. Not going back in there again. Book of Revelation is kind of like one of those books that you go in and you're like, you can't believe the artwork on the walls. And you're like, I'm out. And you leave. Guys, the beauty of what has been happening with this series is we've walked into one of those rooms that's a little tougher to walk into and make sense of. And, and we're, we're trying. And the beauty of that is it's so important to do that. It's so important because it actually lets God set the agenda for you rather than the reverse. And that's what we've been attempting to do with this. And I'll tell you just personally, some of the stuff that we've been talking about in this book of Revelation is like stuff I never think of. I just, you know, I'm going with my life. And so to think about some of the things we've been talking about has just been really great for me. Um, a few weeks ago, we gave you seven themes in Revelation. We kind of did an overview of it. Uh, Bill came back the next week and talked about how there's some letters that were written to churches and what can we learn from those letters. Last week, 10 of these chapters in this 22-chapter book talk about judgment. It's a heavy word, uh, we, but we talked about the idea that maybe there's actually a a wonderful side to that word, judgment. Uh, and so if, you, if that word strikes you heavy like it does me, uh, I encourage you, go back and listen to last week. I think you might see it a little bit differently than you had before. I know I did. This week we're going to talk about another topic that, I, let's face it, we don't think about this. If you think about this, awesome for you. I, I never think about this. We're going to talk about a major theme in Revelation, and that is the world is gripped with darkness. And, and John, who's writing Revelation, is having a vision of the future. He's writing down what he's being shown. The world is gripped with darkness in this vision that he has, and then there is a return of Jesus. That Jesus actually comes back. So here's what's interesting. I'll bet you, for those of you who've been around church for a while, and maybe if you haven't, you at least hear about this, know about this, what gets talked about with Jesus a lot is his life and his death. Jesus dies on a cross, rescue the world from their sin. We talk, we talk about that a lot. We talk a lot about the resurrection of Jesus. We'll celebrate that like crazy here in a few weeks at Easter. And, and, and so we, we, we spend a lot of time on those two topics. How much time do we spend on the return of Jesus? Because the Bible actually talks quite a bit about the return of Jesus. You see it in the Gospels. You see it in, like, Paul, who writes a lot of the New Testament, talks about it. Peter talks about it. You'll see it here with John in Revelation. The, there's, there, the Bible talks more about the return of Jesus than I give any kind of mind share toward. If you're like me, and, and, and it seems, let's face it, for most of us, we think about the return of Jesus, we're like, that's not happening anytime soon. Not happening in my lifetime, not happening tomorrow. I can hardly, you know, think about and prepare for the test that I've got to take tomorrow in some class or the project I've got to do at work. How in the world am I supposed to actually think and prepare about the return of Jesus? Well, this is why we wander into these different rooms 
And, and today we've wandered into a room that we may not always visit. And I want us today to think about this because the New Testament actually talks about it a lot for a reason. First, let me show you what Revelation looks like. When, when you look at the book of Revelation, this is Revelation 19, this is, this is what we see about the return of Jesus. Check out this passage. It says, uh, this is John with this vision he's getting. He says, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Which, by the way, this is great news. If there's really horses in heaven, maybe my cat will be in heaven too, and your dog. And it answers the question, are there pets in heaven? Okay? Uh, and, of course, this, there's a lot of symbolism happening here in Revelation, so who knows. I saw, but, but go with the theme of what he's saying. I saw a heaven open. I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. And we've been talking about Jesus this whole time. This is Jesus. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire. Don't just read over this. When, when, the, when it says that, any kind of ancient reader would uh, equate a flames of fire with divinity, with a god, with a deity. Okay? The Bible is really over and over again trying to hammer into us the idea that, hey, this isn't just a, a prophet or a nice guy who had some good things to teach. John is making another statement here. The eyes of fire, this is... This is God. This is Jesus. And on his head were many crowns. He's in control. He's the king. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. I love it when people try to, like, speculate. What's the name? There's a mystery to God. Just get over it. Like, <laughs> there's just a part of us that just needs to go, we are never going to understand all there is to know about God. Aren't you glad? beautiful mystery to God. He wore a robe dipped in blood. Some people, that seems kind of weird. Some people look at that and go, oh, this is, uh, this is the blood of the people who have died for their faith. This is martyrs, and it's, a, it's memory to them. I don't know, but he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. This is a, this is a phrase that is always used for Jesus. You see this especially in the beginning of John's gospel as well. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. You know, I've always kind of thought, oh, this is like a cool little band of angels that are behind Jesus going into battle. And I've, I read something this week that made me think, actually, maybe I'm part of that. Maybe, maybe if I am part of the resistance, the rebellion, maybe I'm part of this team. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He's in, he's in control. And again, going back to that idea of judgment, he is winding down all the things that are awful and broken that we have seen around us. This, is, this, is, this isn't punitive. This is good. This is what you want. This is, the Bible speaks of this only in joyous terms. He will release the fierce wrath of God. Again, it feels heavy. The Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. We actually want this in the end. We want good to win out. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Wow. Here he comes. He comes back again. 
So how do we translate this lofty idea of Jesus will return one day into something that actually is practically matters for us? Where does, where does it go from, oh, that's nice, to this could actually impact my life? Um, give you an idea. Um, so I graduated from college in December 1995 from CU, and a month and a half later, a friend and I, this, this buddy of mine, Chad, I just call him Fleet. Fleet and I had saved up our money, and we uh, got on a plane to New Zealand in Australia. We'd saved up a few thousand dollars, and we were like, you know what? Um, let's just go. Let's just go for it. We're, we're going to New Zealand. Um, we were 22, and I, there's a million 22-year-olds that are more... Uh, responsible than I was. We were not all that responsible 22-year-olds. So I don't know that we had New Zealand dollars or money. Uh, we bought the cheapest plane flight we had. It took us, I think, 28 hours to get to Christchurch, New Zealand. I think we stopped on every island in the South Pacific, you know, on the way there uh, and slept in the airport. And finally, we get to Christchurch, New Zealand. I don't know that we've got money I'm pretty sure, I know we didn't have reserved anywhere to stay. Uh, we didn't have a rental car. We had no itinerary. All we actually had was our fly rods, our fly fishing rods. And, and we had a tent. <laughs> that was it. We didn't have any idea. I remember the first thing that happened when we got there. We went over to uh, the payphone because we didn't have cell phones back then. We go over to the payphone and we pick it up. And those of you who are old enough, you remember dial tones when there was a dial tone? Uh, I, I picked up the phone and it was going doot, 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 doot. And I was like, Fleet, it's busy. You know, and I, I picked up and doot, doot, doot. How do we get a dial tone on this thing? It probably took us 15 minutes to figure out that our busy signal is their dial tone down there. So finally we figured, oh, just dial, you know. And so we start, we start trying to figure out a foreign country. Uh, never forget, I, one of the first conversations we had with somebody there was, you know, Fleet and I had hardly been out of the country before. We pull over uh, this guy, he's this Kiwi guy, and I'm like, hey man, like, we don't really have anywhere to stay tonight. Like, where should we go? And he goes, oh, mate. He goes, you're in the hot of tourist season right now. He's like, you bloody Yanks have to actually prepare a little better, you know? <laughs> By the way, I know you're impressed with my Australian accent. Um, <laughs> I just, I just give you a little tip. If you want to speak Australian, just don't pronounce the third R in a consonant. Better. Hot. Okay? Can you do that? That's just the key to speaking Australian. Just drop that R and you can speak Australian too, okay? All right. So I asked this guy. He's just like, oh, you Yanks need to prepare better. And, you know, here's, here's what happened. We were in New Zealand for a month. We went to Australia for a month. We, had a, we actually had a blast. I mean, we had like the time of our lives. So much fun. We had so many crazy things happen. If anybody's ever taken a trip like this, you know, like you can't. You learn more on that trip than you do in the four years of college, right? By, it's just, it's fantastic. But I will say, looking back, it's great to take a trip like that and be spontaneous. I don't know that we want to actually approach our lives with that kind of just pure spontaneity. And I'm not sure that we want to 
prepare and look at our lives and our faith in God without any kind of plan whatsoever? Do we actually, if you look at your faith, do you actually think about where am I going? How, how am I growing? Where am I at right now? And where might God take me in the future in terms of the person that I am becoming? Great to go on a trip and be spontaneous. But man, with our faith and our life with God, are we ready? Are we growing? Do we have a plan about who we're becoming? Look, this is why I think it matters. Let me, let me show you Jesus actually has some things to say about his return as well. Surprise. And the message Jesus gives about his return is, is like crystal clear. Very, he's, he is unanimous in the different things he says about this. Watch, watch this. So this is from Matthew chapter 24. Jesus says, uh, and they will see, that's, we're, all, we're all the they, they will see the Son of Man. Right? This is a term that Jesus uses for himself in third person. So Jesus is referring to himself. They will see me, is basically what he's saying. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet. And they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of earth and heaven. Do you see? I read this to you because I want you to see you see the parallel between what Jesus is saying here and what we read in Revelation 19? Okay, this is, this is an event. Jesus is now referring to this event. Now look what he says about it. Keep going. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. Think back. Noah, you know the story. Noah's flood. He starts building an ark. Neighbors think he's crazy. Flood comes, he gets in the ark, gets all the animals in there, and then off he goes. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings, and they were just doing their thing, just like we do, right up to the time Noah entered his boat. It was business as usual. Everything's going great. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. And then Jesus has this, like, boom, like he often does, man, this gut puncher. That's the way it's going to be when the Son of Man comes. This is, this is, that's, that's how it's going to roll. Is that we're going with our lives, I'm going with my life, you're going with your life. Of course he's not coming back anytime soon. And then all of a sudden, he comes. Look at, look at what he uh, goes on to say. And by the way, he's got like five or six different things he says here in, in uh, chapter 24 and chapter 25. Read these. It, it's like, whoa, okay. I'm getting a bigger picture of what he's talking about when he's saying, be ready for my return. So he says, so you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand that, and by the way, isn't it funny when people try to figure this out? People selling all kinds of books and everything on this idea. These guys are making millions by telling you when Jesus is coming back. Like, stop it. It's... no, you don't know, he, and he means it. You don't know. He's just saying, understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. So back then in Jesus' day, there's no police force that you call. If you knew that somebody was coming to your house tonight to break in, you'd call the police, right? You'd, you'd, you'd be ready for them 
you, or you'd have somebody else be ready for them. Back then, there's no police force, so you would have stayed up all night back then. You would have probably got your neighbors involved. You would have done everything you can to make sure that that burglar knows when they show up, this is not open for business. You can't come in here. He's saying, be ready. And then this last line, you also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Man, what if, what if it, part of your mind share about the way you see God would be to start letting this idea creep into your mind that we need to look at our lives and start to be ready for this event? We talk about the cross. We talked about his resurrection. Do we give this notion a much time at all? I think at the heart of what Jesus is saying is, he's saying, you know what? I want you to see yourself differently. You may right now see yourself as a citizen of the U.S., citizen of Canada, Mexico, New Zealand, South Africa, wherever it is that you're from, your family's from, whatever it is that your passport says. Jesus is saying, actually, you're part of the rebellion. Your, your, your real citizenship is in heaven. Your real citizenship is the kingdom of God. Will you start becoming the kind of person that is at home in that new kingdom? Because it'll show up when you don't expect it. That's what he's saying. Um, I want to throw something by you. I, this, this is what came to my mind this week as I was thinking about this thought. I was like, well, why don't people, what keeps us from becoming the kind of people that would be at home in the kingdom of God, that would be great rebels. You know, what, what is it that stops us and our culture from that? Here, here's a thought that I had, and just track with me. I, I apologize. I might get a touch nerdy here. Um, I, I want to I track back 150 years. Go back with me. 150 years, United States, uh, man, there was probably great fly fishing back then, big trout in Boulder Creek. I miss those days. Um, but there was a lot going on in the culture. The world had just experienced uh, an amazing time called the Enlightenment. If you know anything about it, the Enlightenment was a time where the light bulbs went on in so many different ways. Science and our study of the world, uh, culture, incredible stuff was going on during the period of enlightenment. One of the things that came out of it was an optimism, incredible optimism that said, you know what, human beings are capable of way more than ever conceived of before. But, you know, we moved out of the dark ages, and now we're starting to, the light bulbs are going on and like, wow, human beings are capable of amazing things, including human beings may be capable of bringing peace to this world. It's been wrecked by trouble for centuries. And so there was this sense of like, oh my gosh, morality started to rise in terms of the optimistic feel of what human beings were capable of. Now, a certain group of people, a pretty big segment of this that set a lot of the tone for the culture also was looking at some of the abuses that they saw in the church, which were really valid and bad, 
and said, you know, and, but what they did was, in some ways, they lopped the faith in Jesus in with some of the abuses that they'd seen. And so it's, there, there became this notion of like, hey, human beings are capable of a ton. I'm not sure that we actually need God in the same way that was conceived of for centuries before us. So you had morality, the hope on the rise, but it came at the cost of saying, we actually think human beings are capable of doing this ourselves. You tracking with me? I, I actually think you see this in the university system. You think about it. How, so many of our universities were actually founded kind of in the name of Jesus. They were, they were founded on like, hey, Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your strength and soul and heart and mind. And so those universities latched onto that initially and said, mind, we're going to, this is important. But clearly during this time, so many universities started to drop this. And they moved higher on their optimism, but lower on this. Okay, that, that was one group. Here's what I think happened that I think actually impacts people today, us included, sitting in this room. There was a reaction to this. Another group came along that said, oh, you know what? You can't do that. No way. We are all for Jesus, all for understanding and having, um, being able to articulate our faith and know who God is. We're, we're never going to let go of that. Great. However, they did, I think, what human beings are so classically prone to do. Human beings classically, if, if you're moving against a group, you often reject everything about the other group including some of the stuff that should not be rejected. And I think what happened is you had this other group that came along and said this, and they simultaneously said, so we reject your causes too. We reject the notion that great things can actually happen in the world. And by the way, because I believe in Jesus, is it really that important to have high morals anyway? Jesus died on a cross for me. Man, I can put that little Christian fish on my car, cut you off, give you the bird. Jesus is going to forgive me. By the way, Jesus is coming back anyway. I'm going to get raptured out of here. And so I don't understand why we got to actually care for the planet or care for other people. Do you see how awful and dangerous this is. And I, I just, I would ask you to look hard at the news and everything that's happening in our culture and world today and tell me that this isn't still a big deal in the world that we live in. I, I look at this group, we'll call this group, group number one. I look at this group and I go, man, I, this, this, this word may sound harsh, but to me this feels naive. Look at the 1900s, World War I, World War II, everything that's happening right now. Yeah, if human beings remove the power behind morality, it's not going to get us that far. I'm not very optimistic on the future if we go in this direction. But this side just makes me mad. This side I look at and go, this is why I think millions of people in our culture actually look at Christians and go, I never want to be one of those. Because we ditch 
this side of our faith in the name of forgiveness. When God's going, that is not what I taught. Jesus, man, his last words to his followers were, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and teach all the nations to do what I commanded you. That includes love your neighbor as yourself. That includes Matthew 5 through 7, which is about as unbelievable words of ethics that you will ever see in your life. It's not just I've been forgiven and now I wait till I die and go to heaven. Oh, kidding me? You're part of a rebellion. That's garbage. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. This is what we're after. This is the way. This is the way of a rebel. No, no, no. I believe in the power and I will do everything at every turn to be ready for Jesus' return and show to the world, gosh, man, we are humble, kind, caring. That is, that is the kind of church we want to be. That is the kind of people that we want to be. Guys, little things. You know, this week uh, on Wednesday, we had 200-some police officers in this building. They were doing training. I just love the idea of these policemen coming in this building. We give it to them for free. We, we, we got stuff for them just as an encouragement to them. That's the kind of stuff that when you give, that's, we use it for that kind of stuff. That's part of the rebellion. That's part of saying, no, we're going to spread this everywhere that we possibly can. Tonight in this building, a group called Crew will meet in here. And what they do is they work up on campus at CU and other colleges where they're basically saying, we want to introduce people to who Jesus is and have them grow in their faith. That's part of the rebellion. We support that. You know, we got Fairview High School coming in this week for choir concert. I can't wait when people walk in that door, some kid who has an image in their mind of what church is, and they walk in the door and they go, what? That's part of the rebellion. Where are you rebelling where are you going, I want to be ready. And so day after day, I'm looking at my job. I'm looking at where I'm at at school. I'm looking at the people who live on my street. And I'm going to promote at every point I can their welfare. In Jesus' name. Because it's part of the rebellion. Um, I want to I wanna end with a little little illustration because I think we got to start somewhere. This all sounds great, 1800s, enlightenment, blah, blah, blah. But we got to start somewhere that goes, what about me? What about my heart? How do I grow? How do I prepare? When Jesus says, be ready, what does that look like for me? And I think the way we do that, if you're going anywhere, you've got to start with saying, where am I now? And where am I actually trying to go? Let me give you a little picture of this that I think helps me anyway. So there's a church uh, in Chicago called Willow Creek Church. It's a huge church. Willow Creek Church did a study of 2,000 churches in the U.S. And they tried to learn everything they could about these churches. And they did something that makes me feel a little funny. But if I get over that and I just see the helpful nature of it, it's great. It, they, basically, they basically looked in those churches and they kind of categorized people. 
They said, you know, what we're finding is in these churches, there's like four groups of people. And the groups of people were this. They found a group of people in a church that were, uh, they could just called exploring. They called uh, a group, and so that, they're just kind of looking at their faith. There's a group that they call growing. There was a group of people that they called close to Christ, and there was a group of people that, essentially I changed the name a little bit, but they called Jesus in control. Those are the four groups of people that they said exist in churches. Let me, let me show you, let me give you an idea of what to say about this. And here's the deal. This week, when you go out and you're driving around somewhere, you're going to get your keys out because that's how cars work. And when you start your car, I want you to remember this little thing we're about to do. Is that a deal? Okay. Keys to your car. You're going to remember this. Hey, Maurice. Okay. So... This is a really cool electric car that somebody gave us. Isn't that, I mean, come on. This is just, you salivated over this when you walked in here. I saw most of you wiping your mouth. So this, this is our little electric car that we've got for scent. Brakes don't really work, so we don't drive it around much, but it's a different story. Um, I want you to pretend for a second that this car is like your faith or faith in God. And I got, my buddy Maurice is actually playing the role of Jesus today. So there's Maurice. This is Jesus right here, okay? So um, they kind of laughed really loud, like, no, not Maurice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so, so this is it. Exploring, the idea of exploring is I'm kind of checking out the car. Do I really want to buy this thing? I'm not so sure. I've heard stuff about being a Christian that doesn't sound great. I know some of the history that doesn't sound great, but I've also heard stuff that makes me think, uh, maybe this is worth looking at. I walk around, I kick the tires a little bit, I check the odometer. Do I want to actually put my life on this, stake it on this? Right? That, that's the idea of exploring. It's beautiful. Man, if anybody ever tells you to just take something on blind faith, reject that completely. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. You look you study, you go, is this worth putting my life on? You're crazy to just put your life on following God without actually looking into it. So that, that's exploring, beautiful thing. A lot of us, we know this, right? Some of us are in that stage right now. There's another stage, though, that says this, says, okay, I think I'm in. This is what we call growing stage. It's the stage where I go from being outside the car to going, I'm actually jumping in this car. I'm going for it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow God with my life. So here's what we do often. We get in the car and we say, out, buddy. So we kick Jesus out of the driver's seat. We move ourselves over the driver's seat and we, we put Jesus in the back seat. This is great because now I'm still in control of my life. I can still go where I want to go. But I have Jesus as like my backseat driver who's like a sweet consultant, you know? He's, he's there to help me out. Like if I, if I get lost, maybe I'll holler back to him and he might chime in every once in a while and tell me what to do. But generally, I got the wheel and I'm going. And we go this way for a while. And if, if, you, if you know, if you've been alive for a while, you know that when you have the steering wheel in your hands, if you're anything like me, you end up in the ditch quite a bit. And, and maybe you end up in the ditch like daily even. You know, we drive around, we go, and finally there's a part of us that goes, okay, I'm growing, and this is a healthy stage, right? 
But the idea is, are we growing past that into the next thing? And the next thing often is for us to say, I actually need him closer. So we turn to Jesus in the backseat and we say, hey man, you're a great backseat driver, but I actually want you in the seat with me. This This is an amazing thing in life. To be close to Christ. To have him in the seat with us. To be talking more. We're going we're gonna to talk more if he's here in the front. We're gonna, I'm going to actually care where he wants to go too. We're going to have conversations about that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually trust him when he tells me to go somewhere that I shouldn't go. I might even let him sometimes reach over and put his hands on the wheel and drive. And I may take my hands off the wheel and let him do it. Maybe for a little while, and then I'll put, you know, say, sorry, buddy, but I, I'm, I'm back in control. This is, this is close to Christ. This is, this is how you know you're growing. I've moved past exploring. I've moved past growing. I've, I've actually invited Jesus into the front seat of the car with me. You might even start noticing that when Jesus has his hands on the wheel, he takes the scenic route. You, you end up taking forever to get somewhere that you want to go. But in the end, you're glad and you understand why. You might, you might notice that when he's got the wheel, he goes down a street that feels a little dangerous to you. That you're like, why are we going down that road? I, I'm not sure I want to go down that road. But at the end of the road, you're like, oh my gosh, I would have gone the safe route and I would have missed it. And so the times where you start letting Jesus put his hands on the wheel might start to increase until eventually, and this is... This is This is the heart of a rebel. The heart of a rebel eventually stands up out of the car, walks around to the other side of the car, and says, you got the keys, man. And you hand over the keys, and you get in the passenger seat, and you let him drive. And that is a beautiful, beautiful life, the one that lets Jesus drive. Man, I wish I did this more. But I find myself flipping between those stages all the time. Can we just say that Maurice makes a great Jesus? Thank you, man. Good job. Yeah. So, so where are you? Where are you at? You look at those different ideas. We think about the return of Jesus. We think about being ready. We think about where we want to start now. Man, when you hand the keys over, you're saying, I want to do this. I want to run with you. I want to trust you. And we're saying, I can't do that on my own. There's no way. I'd go out and try to be a moral person or try to impact the world. I'll fail tomorrow morning. I'll fail this afternoon. I'll fail 10 minutes from now. I don't have it in me to get where I need to go. If I hand the keys over to actually who has power, maybe in this miraculous way, stuff can happen through me that I would have never expected before. That's what it means to look and move toward being ready. Guys, the the rebellion is hot after some people that want to be ready. The rebellion needs people that want to hand their car keys over. What does that look like for you 
this day? What stage are you in? How could God grow you so that you're ready? God, I just thank you for the fact that you love us, the fact that uh, there's grace and mercy here, that you know that we're all going to screw up mightily, and yet you still walk with us. Um, that's that's, that is the best thing about you. <laughs> I'm just stunned by it. I'm stunned that uh, with all my faults and all our faults that you still get in the car with us. Lord, I pray that um, wherever we're at today that we might be willing to take that first step, whether we're kicking the tires or we've hopped in a car and kicked you in the back seat. Those are all beautiful stages, Lord. I, I pray that... Um, you would help my heart to move and prepare and be ready. Um, Lord, I want to rebel in the good way with you. In Christ's name.